Welcome to the latest uh, Hit the Lights Plus podcast. Uh, I've got uh, Sparky Pete with me again here today. How are you? All right, Derek. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. So uh, today we're going to be discussing customer etiquette. All right. Okay. Let's do it. Well, you sound shocked. <laughs> well, it's news to me. <laughs> so um, obviously we've got some points we I think we're going to hit um, when we're talking about this, but I think interactions with clients it's, it can be troublesome you know throughout the entire process of doing a job and quoting a job and you know certificating a job um if we probably start with the the quoting aspect of uh of the interaction process that we have with a customer what's some of the uh, the good things that you do um when quoting a job i think it's always about actually attending sites for most jobs, if it's changing a light fitting or something very small, okay, you can do that while you're there. But um, it's always good to have a proper site survey so you can scout out any strange things you might come across and try and allow for that in the price. It's nothing worse than turning up to site and you think, oh, God, I haven't priced for this. And then you start panicking. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've already kind of delved straight into it, but a, uh, a big part of the quoting process is the price. Obviously, it's always a particularly domestically something that's negotiated quite quite readily and haggled um, with customers. How do you approach that? Well, we love a barter, but um, stick to your guns, really. I know a lot of people that say they go in with a price and that is their price, but you always get people that say, "Oh, can you can you knock twenty quid off that? Can you do this? Can you do that?" And all you have to really do is explain that your price is your price. You can't cut down the price of materials because they cost what they cost. Therefore, all you'd be doing is trying to speed up your install time, and that is going to show in your quality of workmanship. Yeah, I mean, do you think there are any instances when it's fair to challenge from a customer point of view? Well, you can always ask. You know, sometimes people won't have an answer. I always think if you ask the question and they can reasonably justify it, that's good enough for me. But when they start coming out with nonsense and it doesn't make sense and I may not necessarily agree with what they come back with, then you know they might not be the right person for you. Yeah. I think one of the one of the good things when quoting that I used to do was obviously like you say when you're surveying, it's being incredibly punctual and on time um to those surveying, um, because immediately they're getting a feel for how you operate. I must admit it's something that as an apprentice, my timekeeping skills weren't amazing and it used to annoy my mentor obviously and it's something now i can appreciate as a client sometimes and as a contractor when you say to someone i'll be there at eight we'll be there at 10 to 8 because it's all about being on time it's about being punctual it's all a part of that professional facade yeah i think for me i know i know we've got into the the world of uh whatsapp and social media and stuff but I don't accept text messages. Um, you know, if you're running late or you need to contact a client, communicating over text just seems so uh, unprofessional for me. Yeah, I mean, unless it's extreme circumstances, you won't really have a reason to be late. You know, if you can't help traffic, so yes, ring them. Yes, sorry, I'm stuck in a bit of traffic, but I will be there. But you should always allow plenty of time. I'm one of those that always likes to turn up early because it just, you know, it allows you have that contingency. Mm. So 
the, the next, obviously, assuming you win the work and you do agree a price, it doesn't haggle too much. The next aspect is actually completing the works, isn't it? It is indeed. Well, thank you for that clarification. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want from me? Well, um, in terms of what, what are your preferences when completing the installation work in terms of how you interact with a client? Obviously, first port of call is always a cup of tea, but for me, I always refuse those sorts of things. I must admit, we did the same. So, yeah, you, obviously, you knock on the, the door, take a couple of steps back. It's nothing worse than open the door and someone's face is right against the old people. But, uh, yeah, hello. So, you know, hello, I'm, I'm Pete. I'm the electrician from so-and-so company. We're here to do X, Y, and Z. Introduce yourself so they know what's going on. First things first, always take your shoes off at the front door and mm. take in a dust sheet. Whatever the works you're about to be doing, you can put your shoes on afterwards. But if you drop a dust sheet on your foot, you'd be very fragile to break a bone or something doing that. Prepare the work area, take the tools in there, inform the client of what's going to happen and any interruptions. And so you don't, would, would you not do that even further in advance if there was potential interruptions? Say so yeah, condition so, reporting? The, the trouble is sometimes you'll be working for like a letted property, so you'll be in contact with the landlord, and then when you turn up, it's obviously the tenant in there. So I'd always advise the landlord to let the tenant know about potential in, um, disruptions, but that isn't always the case. So mm. I'd like to re um, just mention that again. Yeah. So yeah. we'll have the power for a couple of hours doing this and that, and we'll be in these rooms and these circuits are likely to be affected, but I'll keep you informed throughout the day. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the pet peeves is always typically a, a client who stands on your shoulder and watches. Is that yeah. a, an issue for yourself? Well, I, I mean, I don't mind them, but yeah, watches, they can put the pressure on. I, I understand sometimes what we're doing is magical. You know, we're putting bits of metal together and it makes lights come on. It's, it's pretty fancy and people will be inquisitive. So it's nothing wrong with, um, you know, coming in, asking a few questions, but when the client's just stood there not saying anything watching you it does tend to make you feel a bit uneasy hmm. i mean how, how do you manage their expectations throughout the process i mean I, I i always um try and talk them through the job and, and not get too technical but try and explain it as much as i can in layman's you know almost as i'm as and when something happens so that they're not in the dark or you know if i'm having issues or, or anything like that yeah, no, I must admit, it's a good example of that would be on a fault-finding project because you say, right, we're here now, we don't know what's going through, this is this, so the first point of call is this. So you'd explain why you'd be doing, let's say, your continuity tests, then you'd go all the way through the fault-finding process and each step you'd explain to them. But again, some of them just leave you to it, but others that do want to know, it also backs up showing you know what you're on about. If you can advise them and... You can inform them in layman's terms to me that normally means that you know what you're on about mm. yeah no, I, I think more often than not i've had the customers leave me alone i think most just want to know that the job's been done safely and that they're getting the right thing at the end typically i think with eicrs i think it's a common misconception similar to kind of an mot that they're going to get a pass um, yeah i've had that even today you know oh just because it's an old board does that mean it's going to fail so well, I don't know. It might fail on one item, but not on another. So that's something for the actual day. So yeah, yeah. But will I need a new fuse board? So well, I don't know. Let me do the job first. I can't tell you in foresight. Mm. So obviously we've kind of just spoken about 
completing the works and, and stuff. The next element is kind of certification, testing. Um, obviously, if you're doing a condition report, we've kind of briefly mentioned about the interruption and stuff. How do you kind of manage, say, you know, if uh, you've got to turn X, Y and Z circuits off, but you've got a, a customer in a room working, um, do you kind of just politely notify them and work around them or do you just go guns blazing? Now, the trouble is, uh, even when you're putting on a board cover, you can quite easily knock off other circuits. I've done it. We've all done it. But at the same time, you shouldn't take the lid off while the board's energised. Because personally, I like to disconnect all the power, take the cover off, then I'll re-energise while it's open. Because you don't know what's going to move inside. So there's always going to be power coming off. So I just say there will be power interruptions throughout the time I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've I've had it a couple of times where I've been too amicable to, you know, work around people and it just lengthened the process massively, you know, like not triggering RCDs and bits and pieces and just trying to work very carefully around people. In the end, I'll just say, like you said, just expect the interruption. Um, I think it's just when a customer is particularly difficult, it can be hard to manage. Well, I have had that as well. And they say, well, you can't turn the power up between like nine and 11. I said, well, we'll obviously do the other work in that time, but if we're sat around then, you're still paying us for our time on site. And they thought, well, well, maybe I could do it a different way, or they'll say, yeah, okay. But at the Mm. end of the day, you're there on site to do the work, and if they're holding you up, then they'll either need to reschedule you or appreciate that you need to be paid for the time on site. Mm. If if that was the case and you ended up overrunning, would you uh, charge the additional cost for that lost time? It would depend on the circumstance. If it was... Had you not been aware prior to attending? Again, it would depend on the job. If it's something silly that is, you know, I should have noticed it's my fault, I should have expected it, yes. But if it's, I've opened up a fitting and it's just died or something and it needs parts or something to get it back running... I'd then have a conversation with the client and say, look, we've tried to do this. It's of such bad quality that this has happened. I'm going to have to make it better. So do you want me to isolate it or do you want me to get the parts to fix it? It's about having that respect to inform the client and just give them their options. So Mm -hmm. if it it all falls apart, I'll isolate it. I'm happy to do that. But if they want it back up and running, then I need to be paid. Because regardless of whether I took it off knowing or not knowing, it would have happened at some point. Yeah. As an example, that is. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like finishing up a job, then do you, do you always allow a customer a, a chance at not almost snagging, but, you know, critiquing the, the work if they're happy with it? Well, I mean, they can try, but <laughs> <laughs> no, all joking apart. So what I like to do is throughout the day, I hate working in mess as well. But while you're working, you drop things on the floor, it gets cleaned up. So you're always working in a nice, clean, tidy room. Then at the end of the day, all the tools back on the van, dust sheets up, clean through, hoover through. Then you go and get the customer. You do the walk around. This is what we've done. This is how this works. You know, the handover process, basically. And then before I'll get back in the van to go to the next job or go home, I'll say, are you happy with the condition of site? Are you happy for us to leave it how it is now? Is it clean enough for you? You know, Mm-hmm. It sort of um, gives you the sign off personally to say, yes, you're not going to get any comeback saying that you've made a mess. And if they are happy with something, then I'll, I'll you know, we'll clear it up. Yeah, no, fair enough. In terms of probably the final aspect, is we're talking about payment. 
Um, is there anything you do there in particular? Like, do you state terms up front in your quote so that you're, uh, you know, when it's going to get paid? Yeah, well, we have terms attached to it, which is normally a 14 day period after date of invoice. But I haven't ever really had an issue with a client paying. I've had a few moaning about cost of things afterwards and all the rest of it. But you just have to say, look, you know, you've called us in because other people wouldn't answer the phone. They wouldn't do this. They wouldn't do that. We've turned up. We've done the job professionally. We've carried it all out tidily. It's all working. Then, you know, what leg do you have to stand on? I mean, the other thing is a lot of people, there is a big split in the industry about when do you hand over the certificates or the reports? Because mm. personally, I always hand them over as soon as I've done them, regardless of the invoice. I'll do them because if there's any comeback, no one can say I haven't 100% completed my works. Yeah. But I know other people, and I'm not sure about yourself, but some people like to hold on them to the end. Well, yeah, I think domestically for me, I've always held on to them um, just as that kind of leverage. The way, the way I always kind of did payments was I would do, you know, a deposit for materials up front. Um, then I would take a first fix payment, a second fix payment, and then a certificate payment. So that there were nice milestones along the process. It covered me for the works I was doing and the client knew where they stood and they could almost financially plan it out that it wasn't like a, a 5K hit right at the end um, to get it all. So that, that's how I've always typically managed domestic ones. And I, I, there have been instances, probably one or two, where I've had to hold back a certificate and say, that you're not getting it until it's paid because I knew full well I wasn't going to get paid. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, it has it has saved me on a couple of occasions, and that may be probably why I've taken that avenue. Um, I'll tell you, what, have you ever had experiences of the other way, where let's say you do an EICR and there's a few things and it's failed? So you say to the client, "Here's your EICR. I'm afraid it's failed on X, Y, and Z, but there's the report and there's my invoice." And they said, well, I'm not paying because it's failed. Um, no, I've never had that instance, strangely. Um, I've, that's probably where I've taught them through it, literally. There's, I, if I find something that's going to fail it, I'll tell them there and then, yeah. try, um, rather than get, getting to the point of writing the report. And if there was an absolute issue at that point, it's kind of a, well, I can down tools and leave if it's yeah. a problem. Um, and then I've not really cost myself too much time or as much as I would have done completing yeah, it and issuing the report. Um, so that's how I've tended to manage that one. Where we've done it certainly like commercially and industrially previously is being given a or agreeing a budget up front with the customer. So, you know, for anything you might find that you could potentially issue on a, like a minor work certificate and you would just complete that work, say, Okay, you gave me a £100 budget extra to, if I could catch anything and do it at the time, I've done 25 quid's worth of that. That's all well and good saying that, and there are obviously a few people out there that would abide to that, but domestically, I feel like people would say, well, hang on, I think you, if there was a £100 contingency, you're going to use that £100 contingency and just brag me, because I don't know, you're the expert, you can tell me anything. Yeah, I think there again it's trust. I think if you um if you know know someone and what they're about and you've worked with them previously potentially, most people tend to stick with an electrician like they would a hairdresser 
I think if uh, they stay local to them um, and they like them. So I think it, it may take a little bit of relationship building, but again, mo- like you say, most first-time customers don't give you that budget. It's the report or nothing. Yeah, no, I must, I've had a few people where you say that it's failed and that. That's sort of, well, how? Because the last guy didn't pick up on that and that. You say, well, yeah, but you know, not being funny, the last guy was a bit of an idiot. He hasn't done anything. He's charged you like 50 quid, drive-by test, and that's what you've got. I said, if he was that good, why isn't he here this time? So, oh, we, you know, he's moved away or he's, he's no longer in business or something. But you can only do your best work, can't you? It's difficult. Yeah, I think there's there's always give and take, isn't there, with customers. And how we uh, interact with them is always key to whether it's quoting, payment or, or anything else. No, exactly. So it's I think that's a good point to raise. And that's to inform the client at every single stage the best you can as you said, about power disruptions, but also inform them of what could go wrong. Obviously, you're not going to cater for all eventualities, but, you know, if you say, I'm doing this board change here, it's old wiring, for example, this could happen, therefore I'd like to do an EICR beforehand. If it's old and, you know, you're looking at a few potential problems, so Mm. you're always keeping them informed and therefore they can make these decisions. Whenever I go to do a, a new board, I always say I can do a split load RCD board, but I always recommend putting in an RCBO board because if ever there's a fault on a circuit, it interrupts that individual circuit and it won't take out half your house. I said it's a small bit of money extra because you're paying for more materials and there's a little bit more testing, a little bit more labour involved. But I said in the long run, it's much, much better. And so far I haven't had anyone say, no, no, just fit as a split load board. So... You know, yeah. we know what we know and we have to inform the client to their best options. But sometimes they don't want that because budget won't allow, so you have to put in a cheaper option. Mm. Yeah, and no, I think that's probably a, a good point to finish on. Yeah, okay. All right, well, as ever, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening.